Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. So if you have a copy of God's Word, will you turn to Mark chapter 12? If you don't have a Bible, all the words of what I'm going to say are going to be on the screen. Uh, and so either you turn on your phone, open your Bible, or uh, you follow along on the screen. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 12 in verse 18. Let's stand as we read God's Word. This is our daily aerobics. Uh, this prepares you for all the candy you're going to eat today. <laughs> the Holy Spirit says through John Mark, and the Sadducees came to Jesus who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked Jesus a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow, that is the brother, and rise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given into marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Read the last line with me. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You may be seated. You know, uh, if you live long enough, there's one question that you'll probably ask yourself. Or there's a question that someone may ask you, and that question is this. Is there life after death? Now, you can go to all kinds of sources for information. You can talk to a pastor. Uh, you can talk to your parents. Uh, you can go talk to uh, just someone on the street. Uh, you can go on the Google machine and ask Google. Uh, but what I decided to do with this question is I went on something that all the young people are raving about. This is something that's helping college freshmen write their papers. It's called ChatGPT. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's, an, it's artificial intelligence. It basically scurries all the internet and has the ability to answer questions that bother us so. And so I typed in the little ChatGPT machine, is there life after death? And it gave me this long paper that would be great to be, again, used in a college paper. But the last line of the article said this. Artificial intelligence said, ultimately, the question of whether there is life after death is a matter of personal belief and interpretation. 
And different people may come to different conclusions based on their own experiences and worldview. The truth is, is that throughout history and in every culture, there is a great curiosity uh, and fear and even hope when it comes to life after death. About 80% of Americans right now uh, in a recent survey say that they believe in life after death. Another nine say they're not sure. And, and I don't know where you are in this category. I know that some of you, you're for sure like, yes, there is life after death and all dogs go to heaven and all this, that, and the other. And some of you are like, I'm not really sure. Well, whether you are sure or not sure, you should want to be sure. As a matter of fact, it's been said whether or not heaven is true, we should want it to be true. Steve Jobs, who's the founder of Apple, uh, who died of pancreatic cancer at age 56, right before his death, wrote, uh, shared with his interviewer for his biography, Walter Isaacson, something that really resonates with me as I read it and hopefully will resonate with you. Here's what Steve Jobs said. He says, sometimes I believe in God and sometimes I don't. But ever since I've had cancer, I've been thinking about it more. And I find myself believing a bit more. Maybe it's because I, I want to believe in an afterlife that when you die, it doesn't just all disappear. He said, I just can't accept that the body just turns off one day and then it's all over. You're gone forever and then one day the sun of our solar system goes out and that's the end of human history. Steve Jobs says, he says, there's just gotta be more to it than that. Christianity has always believed that there's more to it than that. That there is life after death and it's based upon the teaching of scriptures and the power of God demonstrated through an empty tomb and a resurrected savior on Easter morning. Amen. The hope of heaven, amen. The hope of heaven, the forgiveness of sin, sins all hinge on whether or not Jesus is alive. And the good news is that Jesus is alive. Amen? Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Krishna is dead. But Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, he has conquered our greatest fears and calms our future so that we can have a hope that lasts. And so my question to you this morning is, what do you believe? Do you believe that? Well, here, here in Mark 12, and maybe it's a strange passage for Easter Sunday, but we are walking through the book of Mark as a church. And so Jesus has entered into the city of Jerusalem. This was during the Passover where, where the city would swell to, to enormities. It would be like Naples on steroids during the season. <laughs> People from everywhere, there would be camel car accidents everywhere, <laughs> fender benders, all kinds of things. And the tension in the city was high. And the reason it's high is because Jesus was there and he had just been held king. And so the religious and political factions wanted to interrogate Jesus. Their purpose was to expose Jesus as a fraud so that they could get rid of him permanently. And yet every attempt was met with mind-blowing wisdom as Jesus left his questioners silent and stupefied. And then in this one question that we look at today regarding the afterlife, 
What we're asked, what Jesus has asked is very critical and what Jesus says is very crucial because if Jesus is who he says he is, and if Jesus rose from the dead, then everything he says about life after death matters. And so this morning, our hope is, is that the good news of Jesus' resurrection from the dead would move you and me from hostility towards him to finding our only hope in him. So that's our prayer today. So let's just unpack that. Number one, we wanna look at hostility towards Jesus. In verse 18, we are introduced to this group called the Sadducees. This is the first mention in Mark's gospel. Maybe you're new to church, you've never heard of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a political, wealthy, intellectual, religious group in Jesus' day. They were the ones who dominated the political and religious scene in first century Israel. Their power was accumulated through their collusion with the occupiers Rome, and they were at the very center, the heart of power in Jewish life. And so their biggest fear was losing power and wealth. Mark tells us something about the Sadducees theologically that they did not believe in a resurrection. Uh, uh, The historian of that time by the name of Josephus said that the doctrine of the Sadducees is this, the soul dies with the body. The Sadducees, yes, they were religious. They only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. That is, they believed in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. However, the Sadducees did not believe in angels, they did not believe in demons, and they did not believe in the afterlife. Their view was is that once you are dead, you are dead, that there is no hope beyond the grave. This is why they are sad, you see. (laughs) I've been waiting all week to tell that one. I even heard them laughing in the chapel over there. (laughs) See, the Sadducees built their life. They built their power. They, They built everything on the here and now. In their mindset, this is all there is. And so the Sadducees believe that, that a, the, the, the goal of the good life is to be a good person, live life to the fullest, and that your future is actually wrapped up in having children that can continue your legacy to the next generation. And as I think of the Sadducees, I actually think that there may be more Sadducees around than we realize. Maybe many of us are more Sadducee than anything else because we may act like this world is all there is. Now, now I'm a millennial. We got any other millennials in the room? Say amen. All right, that's good. That's good. And so normally when you hear the word millennial, it used to be a few years ago, everybody go, oh, snowflakes. And, And you go, oh, those millennials. Well, the millennials, which is my generation, The philosophy of the millennials is something called YOLO. (laughs) YOLO means you only live once. Anybody heard of that one? And so my generation, our greatest fear, because our motto is YOLO, our greatest fear is FOMO. (laughs) Y'all are welcome, by the way. (laughs) FOMO is the fear of missing out. And so my generation's biggest fear is missing out on all the fun experiences they can get in life. And so YOLO, you only live once. You better have a bucket list. Those are all the things you want to do before you kick the bucket. You better do it, and you better do it to the fullest. Well, that's my generation. My kids' generation is Generation Z. They still adhere to the 
principles of YOLO, but their greatest fear is not FOMO, their greatest fear is FOBO. Again, you're welcome. <laughs> FOBO is the fear of better options. So some of you that have kids, have you ever said something to your kids like, hey kids, you wanna go to Disney? I'm not sure. Let me think about it. Hey, kids, you want to get ice cream? Where are we going? <laughs> Let me think about it. So Generation Z, their biggest fear is missing out on better options. They're afraid to make decisions. They're hesitant to commit because if this is all you get, they don't want to make the wrong decision. Now, whether you are a millennial or Gen Z or you are a Gen Xer, a builder, a boomer, a buster, or you don't even know your generation, <laughs> you're so old. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> Gotta hurry up. <laughs> We all are like the Sadducees, because many of us, we live like this life is all there is. And so, if you live like this life is all there is, anything that would threaten your way of life is a threat. The Sadducees saw Jesus as a threat. They saw his views on the resurrection, they saw his views on the afterlife as being dangerous, and it would lead people to believe that there's something beyond this life, and there's something better that actually comes after death. And so the Sadducees had a vested interest in a world that had no resurrection, because resurrection to the people would mean the change of the status quo, that people could could endure suffering, people could have a different model of life and they could have hope beyond the grave and therefore they could, they don't need the Sadducees anymore. You know, there's some people that hate Christianity for the same reasons. There are people who are convinced that religion is the opioid of the masses and that it deceives people to believe in some fairy tale called the afterlife. And they, they want to explain the world through science, and there's nothing wrong with science. We, 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 there is good science out there. But they want to explain everything through their own understanding, and the reason why they don't want to believe in an afterlife, they don't want to believe in a resurrection, is because they don't want anyone to tell them how they're to live their life. So here these Sadducees were. They saw Jesus as a threat, and so they come to Jesus with a very ridiculous, hypothetical question. Now, they're not coming with legitimate questions, and they're not seeking a legitimate answer. They're just trying to make a point to Jesus. So here's their hypothetical. It might be a little strange for Easter, but bear with me. So here's the hypothetical. A man marries a woman. We understand that. The man dies. We understand that. According to the law of Moses in Deuteronomy, that if a man dies, doesn't have any kids, then the man, the dead man's brother, if he's not married, is to marry his sister-in-law. That's weird. <laughs> Unless you're from certain states, okay? <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> and the reason why they would do this is to carry on the name of the dead brother and to protect the woman. Now, if the brother did not want to marry his sister-in-law. She would publicly shame him, take off one of his shoes, throw it at him, and spit in his face. 
Now, in this hypothetical, all the brothers were honorable men. And so she marries the first brother, he dies. She marries the second brother, he dies. She marries the third brother, he dies, and goes all the way to number seven. Now, if your brother number five, <laughs> just maybe you would think she's a dangerous woman. <laughs> she might be a barracuda, I don't know. It might be better to have a shoe thrown at you and to be spit upon than to marry her. Could you imagine the podcast and the Netflix documentary about this woman? And so they come to, to Jesus with this ridiculous hypothetical situation, and then they ask their question. In the resurrection, we don't believe in it, you believe in it, but in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? Now, in their minds, this is a gotcha moment. We have stumped the chump. Again, this is not a theological, legitimate question. This is a power play. And you see their hostility towards Jesus through their questioning. But what they were trying to do is they were trying to make Jesus and his teaching on the resurrection look unbelievable and silly. And that still happens in our day. People ask all kinds of questions, and, and they don't want to believe. They have no desire to believe. They just want to make Christians look like idiots. Now, some of you today, you have legitimate questions about Christianity. And you have hypothetical questions like, well, you know, if God is good, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Or if God is love, why would he send anyone to hell forever? Or if God is real, why doesn't God answer my prayers? I mean, I mean these, are, these are legitimate questions. They're valid questions. And here's something that you may not understand. Each and every one of these questions have actually been brought up by people who wrote the Bible. There's nothing wrong with asking those type of questions. And a faith that cannot be questioned should not be trusted. And we as a church, we want to come alongside you and, and help you in your your understanding of, of the answers to those questions. But before you can really answer the other questions, there's a bigger question that's greater and makes every other question make sense. And that is this question. Is Jesus who he says he is? Because if Jesus is who he says he is, then there must be legitimate answers to the questions that we have even though we don't know them yet. And if Jesus is God, and if Jesus did rise from the dead, then that means he knows the answers to those questions, even though we don't know them. And what my prayer is for you, everyone in this room, and everyone in the chapel, and everyone watching online, and all our overflow areas is this, is don't let your unanswered questions keep you from trusting in Jesus. Because if Jesus is alive, then everything he says matters. And so what Jesus is doing, he's just trying to move the Sadducees from hostility to hope. And what Jesus is trying to do in your life this morning is to move you from hostility to hope. Now, how does he begin? Well, he doesn't start out very great. And in verse 24, he looks at these guys and he says, you are wrong. That's not necessarily a way to win friends and influence people. They ask a question, but he understands that they were ignorant of who he was. They, they, they weren't seeking an answer. They'd already made up their mind before they even asked who they thought he was. Jesus says the reason why they are wrong is because they didn't know the scriptures. That's a jab. These guys were experts in the scriptures, and they didn't understand the power of God. And so then Jesus comes out, you're wrong, 
you're ignorant. Boy, this is great. And let me tell you about heaven. In heaven, no one is married. There's no marriage in heaven. Now, for some of you, that is very sad news. You're, you're thinking of your spouse, and you're, oh my goodness, I've been married for so long. And, and, and I get that, and, and I can see the sadness. But for others in this room, you're like, praise God. <laughs> Amen. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Now listen, Jesus is not saying that marriage is unimportant. Jesus is saying that marriage is temporary compared to eternity. Now, why is it Jesus is getting there? Because the Sadducees had a view. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. They just had what they had in their head. And so the Sadducees' assumption is that the resurrected life just meant a continuation of the life you already have. It just goes on and on and on and on. See, they only can think in categories they can comprehend. They don't understand. Why don't they understand? Because they don't know the power of God. And there are some people that are gonna come to you and they don't know the scriptures, they don't know the power of God, and they're gonna come with you with questions to you and they wanna make you look silly and they only have categories that are of the here and now, not of the power of God. And Tim Keller says about the resurrected life, he says the resurrected life is not a continuation of the old life but it's a transformation of a new life. It's not just coming back to live, but experiencing for the first time true life. It's not just life after death, but it's life that never dies and is better than anything we have on earth. You know, I've heard people say, you know what, I don't really wanna go to heaven. And I look at them and say, why? And the reason why is because their view of heaven is that you're just gonna be a fat, chubby angel plucking a harp on a cloud all day. And their idea is, man, if I become a Christian and I go to heaven, there's not gonna be ice cream in heaven, there's not gonna be basketball in heaven, there's not gonna be Netflix in heaven, there's not gonna be anything fun in heaven. And then others of you are like, well, you know, I'm really scared about the next life because the next life, this life stinks. And I'm afraid the next life might be even worse than this life. But here's what Jesus is saying. Get the old thinking and old categories out of your mind. The next life is not a continuation of the old life. The next life is far better than you can imagine. See, the problem is, is that we tie our life on earth to everything there is now. And so if you tie your life to, to you only live once, and if your biggest fear is the fear of missing out, and if your biggest fear is the fear of better options, then in life you're always gonna be disappointed. Why? Because there will always be something you're gonna miss out on. You, every yes is a thousand no's to something else. And so you're gonna miss, you can't do everything. Listen, if you try to go two directions at the same, two different directions at the same time, you'll split your pants, you can't do it all. <laughs> so if you tie your life to this world only, you'll be disappointed. But if you know there's a better life coming, one that you were created for, then you have freedom to live here on earth without fear. You don't worry about it. Any of you ever play Super Mario Brothers? There's a movie coming out. That's the reason I'm saying that. Now, I've not watched it, and I don't really plan on watching it. And I'll pray for y'all that do watch it. <laughs> but back in the day, we had something. So I played Super Mario Brothers, and we had something. My friends figured it out. They're called cheat codes. Anybody heard of cheat codes? You, we got nerds in the room. It's okay. Some of you are like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Just follow along. Follow along. 
So the certain, one of the cheat codes we had for Super Mario Brothers is you never die. Or you, you can die as many times, sorry, you can die as many times as you want, but you keep coming back because you have infinite lives. And so you're playing Super Mario Brothers and you, you don't care if you fall into the fire, you don't care if you get spiked, you don't care if a little mushroom eats you. Why? Because you know you're not gonna die. Well, listen, Jesus came and gave us a cheat code. And this life isn't all there is. There's a better life coming. And we don't have to fear what happens to us in this life because we know that his life means that we're gonna have eternal life and therefore we don't have to be afraid anymore. And then Jesus continues. He says in verse 26, it says, for the dead being raised, have you not read? Again, this is a jab at the Sadducees. This would be like going to a doctor and saying, do you understand the medical books? It's like going to an attorney and saying, do you understand the law? And Jesus he could have said, well, the Old Testament teaches about the resurrection from the dead. Daniel 12, Isaiah 26, Job 19. But, but, but those Sadducees wouldn't accept it because they don't believe in anything other than Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They only believe in what Moses said. Now you're like, who's Moses? Moses is a prophet. In the Old Testament wrote, again, those first five books. Moses was the guy that was put into a little uh, uh, thing that was floated on the Nile River. Remember his mama put him in a little basket, floats him down, he gets saved by the princess of Egypt, grows up, turns into Charlton Heston. Those of you who get that, <laughs> you understand. Okay, parts the Red Sea, remember that? So before all the parting of the Red Sea stuff, God appears to Moses and says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now when God is speaking here, all of those men had died. Abraham died, Isaac died, Jacob died. But when God speaks about them, he doesn't say, you know what, I was the God of Abraham till he died. I was the God of Isaac till he died. I was the God of Jacob till he died. He doesn't say I was, he says I am. It's present tense. See, I was is often sad when it comes to relationships. Like I've heard people say, you know, I was married, or I was happy, or I was a dad or I was in shape, <laughs> or I was a friend, or I was in love. When you say I was, it is speaking of something that you once were in the past, but you're not now anymore. Well, when God here speaks of his relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and when he speaks of his relationship with anyone that is his, it's never I was. It's always I am. Now, Jesus, again, isn't making his old case on the afterlife on a verb tense. He's actually making his case on the name of God because the name that God gave Moses was I am. And I am means I am the promise-keeping God. And so when God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's referring to the promises he made these individuals. The promises that he made Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not built on how good these men were or how long these men lived. These promises were built on God himself. And so when God says, I am the God of, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead and gone forever, then the promises of God had failed and God isn't God. But if God is God, then his promises are sure. And therefore, because his promises are sure, all who trust in him are alive, even though they die. See, there is life after death. 
and it's greater than we can imagine. Now, in Jesus's day, the people thought, not necessarily in our day, but in Jesus's day, the people thought that if there's one relationship that will never change when you die in heaven, it's marriage. That you're gonna be married forever. But Jesus says, no, that's not true. It's till death do you part. Jesus says that the only relationship that will never change in heaven is your relationship with God. That if you die with a personal relationship with him on earth, your relationship with God will never change. See, Christianity is not just believing in Jesus, praying some prayer to Jesus, and then going to heaven. It's more than that. Christianity is a personal relationship. That if God is your God, then not even death can separate you from him. I mean, Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He says, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. So basically, that's a bucket of just anything else you can think of will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever it is you think can separate you from God's love won't do it. Your past won't separate you. Your sin won't separate you. Your pain and your suffering doesn't separate you. Even death itself can, cannot separate you because nothing can separate you from his love. And he's like, well, how do you know that? That sounds awful good. How do I know that? This is why Easter Sunday matters because we can be sure because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is proof that everything Jesus says was true and everything he did worked. That's the proof. See, Jesus, when he says this, that he's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living, he was about to die. And, and if Jesus died, and if Jesus is still dead, then we have no hope. But if Jesus is alive, as he predicted, as countless eyewitnesses have testified, I mean, even his own brothers testified that he was God. I mean, what would it take for your brother or sister to believe you're God? <laughs> or what would it take for you to believe that they're God? And you're like, well, some of them already do believe they're God. <laughs> it would, for me, take a resurrection from the dead, right? <laughs> and not only did Jesus predict it and, and, and hundreds of eyewitnesses testified about it, but countless billions in history have had their lives changed by it, that Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, then we have hope. See, the hypothetical ends in Jesus. The hypothetical of if there is life after death, that ends in Jesus, because Jesus is the end of the hypothetical. He is not the hypothetical, he is hope. A few days prior to Jesus' interaction with the Sadducees, he went to a funeral. It's a funeral of one of his really good friends, a guy by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Jesus shows up a little late to the funeral. Mary and Martha come to Jesus, say, Jesus, where were you? If you would have just showed up before our brother died, he'd still be alive. Where were you? Because in their minds, they thought they were never gonna see their brother again. Jesus looked at the two sisters and said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe 
this? And that's the question for you. Do you believe this? Do you believe he is who he says he is? See, what you believe about him is the most important decision of your life. In the Rocky Mountains, there's this famous dividing line. I've been there, there's a huge sign. There's a lot of signs out west. But there's one sign, and it's a sign that says the Continental Divide. And um, it's a part of the Rocky Mountains, so it's one long line. It stretches really far. But, but what we know about it is that it, it, when rain falls on the Continental Divide, anything to the east of the Continental Divide flows downward towards the east, forming streams and rivers, and eventually empties out into the Atlantic Ocean. Anything on the west, any rain that falls on the west side, it turns into streams, it turns into rivers, and eventually it goes all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And so what that means is that there's two little raindrops, little buddies. They're side by side, and they're maybe a few inches apart, but they land on two different sides of the line and end up oceans apart. Well, see, the same thing might be happening right now in this room. Seated side by side, maybe inches apart, are two people who will land on different sides of Jesus. One will end up in unspeakable joy in heaven because they've trusted in Jesus as their Savior. The other will end up in an eternal place of darkness and death called hell because they rejected Jesus. And it's amazing how two people side by side can end up eternities apart. What do you believe? You say, you know, I'm just not, a, just not 100% sure about Jesus. I just don't know. I need proof. Well, as I said earlier, don't let your questions or doubts keep you from Jesus. Because to be honest with you, we put our faith and trust in the things every single day that we don't have 100% proof about. I mean, we sit in chairs. I mean, there, there are thousands of chairs in this room and in other rooms and our overflow areas, and you didn't pick it up to inspect it. You just flopped down. We fly in airplanes. You know what airplanes are? Airplanes are tons of metal flying in the sky. You fly in airplanes. You drive across bridges. You trust in these things to not collapse on you. And part of the reason that you trust in those things is because you've seen others sit in chairs. You've seen others fly on planes. You've, you've, went, you've seen others cross bridges. And because others have done it and have arrived safely, you believe, even though you don't have 100% proof. A couple months ago, I was in Arusha, Tanzania. And we were there with Compassion International. We were at a church. And at the end of our little time there, we were gonna go to a lady's house who lived two miles away and deliver her some food and, and pray over her house and her family. And so the woman was there and we went with her, myself, Caleb Owens, who any of the videos you see, Caleb has had his hands in. He's a very talented uh, young man. And then another guy is a part of our church named Bob Hahn. Now again, Bob Hahn's a big dude. He's like six foot six. He's big as a mountain. And so there we were behind this lady and her little four-year-old son, and we were going over the river and through the woods. It felt like we were going everywhere. And finally, we get to this section. There was a huge, like 15-foot uh, or, or higher ravine. And there's a bridge that went across the ravine. And, 
And, and I looked at the bridge, and it was old. You can tell it was old. It was shaky. Even had a few holes in it, okay? It wasn't very strong. And so the next thing I know, this lady and her son walk across it. Caleb walks across it. Big old Bob Hahn walks across it. Now he's kind of dodging potholes. And they made it over. Now listen, I have a fear. I got issues, and one of my issues is I have a fear of heights. Like I'm even scared sometimes up here, okay? And so I was a little nervous. It's like, is that bridge gonna hold me? But I saw them cross, and here was my logic, okay? My logic was is if that woman and her son and Caleb Owens and Bob Hahn could make it over that bridge and it could hold them up, I'll be okay. Now, I didn't have 100% proof that, it, that I would be able to cross that bridge without falling in, but I also believe that it's been here for that long and a lot of people have crossed it and they haven't followed in, and so I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna trust in that bridge to get me across. And so I did, I went, went over the bridge. And as I turned back, I looked back and I saw underneath the bridge were these multiple reinforced pilings that were holding the bridge up to keep it from collapsing. I didn't know it at the time, but that, that bridge was sturdy and strong. You know, we have something far more reliable and infinitely better than a wobbly bridge in Africa. Our bridge is a whole lot better. Our bridge doesn't just get us across a ravine, but it gets us to a holy God and a future home. And that bridge's name is Jesus. And for centuries, he has proven faithful. Millions have trusted in him and he has brought them safely home because he died on the cross and rose from the dead to make a way when there was no other way to give us a hope that never dies. And so today, I'm gonna ask you in this room that if you've never crossed that bridge, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that today you would cross that bridge some of you, you might be on the very edge of the bridge and you see the bridge, but you're right there and you've been there for years waiting and waiting and waiting because you're scared to cross that bridge because of what it might mean. Well, I want you to understand that if I can make it across that bridge, you can too because Jesus built a bridge that you cannot burn, it does not bend, and it will not budge. And even though you may think it won't, he will prove his way, and he will make a way for you. So what you do with Jesus today matters. It'll make a difference in your life forever. If you just cross the bridge and trust in him, it will not only make a difference for your life, it'll make a difference for your family. My dad was a 25-year-old alcoholic. Grew up in a single dad's home. His mother left him when they were little. He wasn't a Christian. He married my mother, who was raised 
by her mother as a single mom and was brought to Christ through her grandmother. And God put them together. And my mother for years prayed that my dad, because they got married really young, would become a Christian. And one night during a thunderstorm, when the lights went out, my dad, who had been told about Jesus, stepped on and stepped out on that bridge of faith. And because my dad stepped out on that bridge of faith, I'm here today preaching to you. And if your life has been touched by my ministry, I can take you back to the bridge my daddy crossed when he was 25. And maybe some of you this morning, you need to cross that bridge. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're gonna cross the bridge together. If you're here in this room and here in our chapel, here in the overflows, and you've never given your life to Jesus, you, you, you're standing at the precipice of that bridge, I wanna beg you, cross the bridge. You have no idea what it's like on the other side. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. And if you're here today, as you close your eyes and bow your heads, if you say, today, I need to trust Jesus as Savior, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I struggle with trusting you. But today, I want to cross the bridge. I trust in you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead for me. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins and save me and help me to live for you all of my life. In Jesus' name. Just pray that prayer. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Pray to the Lord. Father, I pray for those who trusted you in this moment, whether in the chapel, in the overflow, online, or in this room, that they would have courage to make it known. So every head's bowed, every eye's closed. If you just today trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you prayed that prayer with me, no one's looking around but me. Would you raise your hand as high as you can raise it? Just raise it as high as you can. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see it. High as you can. I see you. 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 Amen. Praise the Lord. You put your hands down. All right, you can look up here. Listen, if you, there's a lot of people who just raised their hand. Maybe you raised your hand in the chapel or the overflow. That little card that's in the chair back. Everybody pull that out if you've got it. Pull that little card out. Even if you've been a Christian all your life, pull that card out. And I want you, those of you who just said, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I saw a lot of hands. I want you to fill out your name. And I want you to put in that little box there the letter C. I committed my life to Jesus for the first time. If you are already a Christian and you've been baptized... You just put the letter A and say, pray for me. And put a prayer request on the back. 
Or maybe you have trusted Jesus as your savior, but you've never made it public. You've never put the ring on. You never told the world you're a Christian through baptism. And so if you wanna be baptized, we have an opportunity for you at the beach next Sunday, or you can do it here in our services. You just put the letter B. And then if you're here, you say, well, I'm a Christian, I've been baptized, but I really like this church and I wanna know more about it, and then put the letter D, and we'll help you get connected. Whatever thing, other things you wanna share, prayer requests or needs, we wanna help you. We want everyone to fill out this card. And the reason why is because we want everyone to have the hope of Jesus Christ in their life because he is a living hope. Would you stand and let's sing about the living hope of Jesus. And when you do, you can raise your hands in praise, you can shout, you can sing, you can clap because Jesus is alive. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church, go out and be the church, have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.